We're actually recording this time. Okay, you promise. Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. For episode 143, we've got Andy Berkey here for our five questions. So I'll kick it right off. Andy, yes. how did you get into woodworking? Um, pretty. Uh, my dad was a uh, country preacher, and he built uh, three churches in his career. And we were expected to um, tag along and started sweeping up floors. Uh, with was, They were all built with volunteer labor. And uh, we were we were there uh, two or three days, uh, you know, a week uh, working on churches. So got pretty familiar with hand tools and, and uh, safety type stuff pretty quick. I had no idea that was what preachers did. <laughs> yeah, well, th- not exactly uh, all preachers. Th- this was, uh, you know, churches that had maybe 50, 60, 70 people in them. Mm-hmm. So you, you didn't you didn't go out and hire an architect. Uh, it, you know, you just mm-hmm. uh, got inspiration from somewhere and started hammering nails together. Now, the use of hand tools in building the churches, Andy, is that because – that's what you guys used because that's what you could afford or that just was the style of the times or was that because you were children and that's what he wanted to use versus a dangerous power tool or why was it? Yeah. Well, um, dad, before he uh, went to Korea as a, as a medic, um, he was a Finnish carpenter. Uh, He saw some bad stuff over there and decided to become a preacher. But, um, but he had his full kit of, of, you know, the old school 1950s, um, 1940s and 50s carpenters uh, box. And that's basically what we got to use instead of the power tools. So um, that was kind of, you know, you just, you just got familiar with the tooling and, and then you were handed something else that you could hurt yourself with. And, and you tried not to do that. That's, that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> All right. So um, question number two, what is your favorite tool? Um, I got to I got to be honest. I like I like tools that are, have been good and faithful to me for decades. So I uh, I, I like my three horse or three and a quarter horse uh, Porter cable fixed base router. Um, I've run literal milli, uh, miles of molding through that thing. And, uh, it just comes to work every day. And, and, uh, I love that thing. I've got it mounted in a horse and a half, uh, Delta contractor saw that I've had for 20 years or better that that I've put three motors in. And I just like those kind of tools that they, they have a familiarity and a patina to them. And I'm just comfortable around them. I think it's a popular. I appreciate that comfort. Yeah. That's the same router that you know, my dad's got. And I used, I used on job sites years ago. Yeah, I'll tell you what, guys. I don't own a plunge router. Never have. Oh, you have to. <laughs> that <laughs> that, that port of cable. Okay. Did you hear that can of worms open? The, yeah. Okay. I, it just <laughs> a wormhole just opened. 
as much as I loved, as much as I do love fixed base routers, uh, there is nothing that a fixed base router can do that a plunge router can't also do, and they do more. Um, that porta cable three and a ho- half horse in the plunge version is a thing of beauty. Um, it's a absolute beast in terms of its size and its power, but right. it is the best balanced and arguably most controllable router I own. It is amazing how comfortable the grips are, how well the operation works. Um, it it's it's a thing of beauty. As nice as that the fixed base version of that router is, the the plunge version of that exact router takes it up a notch it is it is absolutely phenomenal and if i could offer get yourself the small um dewalt trim router in with the plunge base Uh and that will let you do things with a router you never thought you could in terms of just freehand accuracy you put a it only takes quarter inch bits you know it's a plunge it's a trim router so it's only a quarter inch collet but you could put a quarter inch spiral bit in that and uh-huh. you can draw a line and route to the line freehand, you know, within reason. It's not not perfect. You're going to clean yeah. up with the chisel a little bit. But it is amazing the accuracy you can get with that thing. And it's got lights. It's got a clear base. It The control is phenomenal. I, I believe it. I just, uh, you know, I guess it's it's uh, kind of one of those throwback. I, I'm, I'm in this constant struggle between the old school type of tooling that I started using back in the eighties when I really started, um, you know, up in the game to, you know, the newer, I, 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 uh, in 2012, my friend Paco, who's an excellent carpenter, <clears throat> um, he brought, uh, one of the DeWalt 20, 20 volt, um, sets on, on a job site. Okay. And, uh, they had those lights on them. Mm-hmm. And man, I gave him the most absolute ton of crap for that. Oh, look at the cute little lights, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> By noon, literally this happened. At noon, we went and I bought a set. <laughs> <laughs> From seven o'clock in the morning when I was giving him heck to noon, we at lunch, we went and I bought a set. I was it's that impressed. Said for being able to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when you get older, you know, I'm 55 now. So when you get a little older, it's even more important. <laughs> you don't look a day over 51. But, okay, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and that drives us perfectly into the next question, not to cut you off. Oh, God. Give it to me. Given your age, who has influenced <laughs> you the most? Oh, that hurts. That really hurts. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. So, um, I worked for a while in a consulting group with a, with a, uh, old school architect. Um, he taught me a ton about working with clients about how to make, uh, you know, a fared curve, a proper fared curve. Um, I learned a ton from him. I learned a ton from a guy named Mac Headley Jr. Who at one time was a cabinet Master cabinet maker Colonial Williamsburg. I really look up to him. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, Frank Klaus. 
uh, who's uh, he's a, he's in New Jersey, I believe, uh, for Diami's um, mm-hmm. amazing Hungarian cabinet maker. Oh yeah. Um, and I've never had the privilege of meeting him, but uh, I was a I'm a huge fan of uh, George Nakashima, and um, you know, kind of, I I feel like he had a of all those kind of uh, older school art artsy guys i i felt like he i just connected with him somehow i don't know but uh i um i got the chance to meet frank klaus uh did you briefly yeah he did a show <laughs> up in near somewhere central michigan um a couple years ago some i offshoot show i can't even remember the name of it but um it was literally like, like a, a shop place sit down and you know 20 seats watching him work at a workbench kind of situation uh-huh. um, but it was really cool he he did a sl- sliding taper dovetail by hand and um a water <laughs> water toy that's first he, did you ever see his watertight box um yes that's such a cool thing um Diami, if you've never seen it it you know it's totally an old school kind of thing but basically sure. take take a square box before you put the bottom on it uh-huh. um Take a um, a piece of handle of a of a bucket that that kind of round metal, okay, um, and bend it so that your thumb can press it down and hammer a groove down into the perimeter of the bottom, okay, and then take a few fair shavings, just slide a plane over and take just a few mil off, and then wet that, and then nail through it. <laughs> What? And it becomes its own wooden gasket. It's fantastic. Well, I, I have no idea what you just described to me. Yeah, you have to envision it entirely. It's, Basically, it's, you depress it, wood, you take away some of what is left up high, and then you wet it to make that depression come back. Okay. And it stands proud just enough that it literally becomes its own gasket. Do, do you know how, how I make a watertight box? Is <sighs> I go to work, and I grab a piece of EPDM out of the back, and I cut uh-huh. a rubber gasket out of it. And mm-hmm. I stick it to the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not quite the same. No. Not how they, the There's something about days. waterproofing. It, it doesn't mix my, with my woodworking. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing about speaking of uh, water and, and Frank. We uh, found ourselves in the hot tub at a hotel one time talking about woodworking. And, as um, you do. <laughs> as, as you do. And uh, we uh, happened to have smuggled in some beers into the hotel hot tub and Frank broke a a bottle and he was really weirded out because um, he didn't want to uh, get in trouble with the place that he was, he was giving uh, a week long (laughs) uh, seminar deal. So I just told him, I said, Frank, go back to the room. I'll clean this up. If anybody says anything, I'll take the blame. (laughs) And we were, he was just like, why would you do that? I said, Frank, go. Because <laughs> I figured, you know, what, what are they going to do to me? You know, yeah. uh, give me a $100 uh, bang on my bill or something. So I spent, uh, he took off and I spent the next, uh, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so making sure that there was no shards in the bottom of the hot tub. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the rest of our time together, he was like, I was on a different level with him. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I cover, just 
covering for somebody is a good way to get you on their or them on your good side or your you on their good side anyway yeah exactly exactly i just but i do in all seriousness he's just one of those guys that i appreciate the hand skill of course mm-hmm. but the headspace it's all about the headspace mm-hmm, um yeah. the guy's just magic and and you know second second best just is completely unacceptable and mm-hmm. uh and that's that's the headspace is what I learned from him. Just fantastic. Can't say enough. Yeah, that's very, very cool. So uh, that kind of leads us into the next question. Well done. Um, what? <laughs> seriously. So with all that, what has been your biggest stumbling block? Um, I would say my own... Uh, this wiring thing that I think a lot of us deal with where you're either, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, I was working on a huge church and um, I was, I had to just completely ream an electrician who wasn't understanding what he had to do. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother-in-law worked with me and I, in a rage, uh, left the electrician standing uh, there <laughs> And he told my brother-in-law, he said, why does he have to be so hard on us and use those words? <laughs> and my brother-in-law looked at him and said, dude, you should hear what he calls himself. <laughs> you know that. So this, the, you know, the imposter syndrome, biggest critic uh, thing, um, all that kind of weird headspace. That's been my own stumbling block and and those magic times when you're in the flow mm-hmm. and all that all that white noise goes away you know you feel like you could just work for days and um and that's the magic you know that's the thing i'm chasing is is the flow um that that perfect time when when time just goes away and food goes away and everything and, and you're just out there um making outside of yourself right. do you guys ever do you know what i'm talking about exactly mm-hmm. talking about. absolutely that's that's just the magic time and that's that's the stuff that we get and 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 we're gifted with that you can't really explain it to guys that aren't not guys people that aren't makers you right. know i've heard this from but you I, know seamstresses and bakers and you know all this all the skills all the all the parts of, of the maker community that are in, you know, the, the three big mainstream skills, everybody gets it. I think anyone who has a true calling or a profession that they truly fall into, even if it's not making can find that almost Zen moment in their work. Um, so I, I wouldn't even limit that to makers. I would limit that to anyone yeah. who, who finds their calling in in their in their profession. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I it's a it's what I why chase and, and it's and it's part of the reason why I subscribe to a lot of Buddhist philosophy is you know to kind of head down that path, give myself a little bit of a head start. But for me, it's it's that's that's what I'm I chase that more than hand skill or any any specific skill because it seems like all the skills get amped up when you're in that proper headspace which i know it's kind of weird but no but i know exactly what you're talking about and at the end of the day 
if you're not getting into that headspace every once in a while or every day, if you can, why are you doing it? Like that's right. You do this because this is what gives you that headspace. Yep. And that's why I do don't have employees any longer. I, they were a hindrance to me getting to that place. And if I have to build decks and I can, I can manage that flow every day, I'm going to build decks. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. All right. How to get weird with Andy Berkey. <laughs> this week with weirdo, <laughs> with weirdo of the week. Um, that brings us around to our, our last question, which is as far from that kind of headspace as you could be. Um, mm-hmm. How has the internet influenced your work? Ah, well, it's become the, uh, along with that beautiful headspace, uh, for me is also a darkness um, that I can go weird places and th- the cool thing about this this community that uh, I've become sucked into is that um, there's an accountability and I can't <clears throat> I can't go to you know uh, bad places and um, not for very long without someone getting a hold of me and saying, Hey man, are you tripping or what? You know, are you okay? And, uh, I really appreciate that. And, and, um, I don't know. I have said it before that I feel much more like, uh, I've always felt like I was that one little weird kid in the back of art class. Um, and now I realize that that back row is just freaking huge. And, and there's a lot of us back there and, and we're okay. We're matter of fact, we're not only okay, but the tide has turned and now we run things. And, um, yep. and, uh, I had a, I, I did a, a ton of work for a vice president of a huge, uh, regional bank. We were working on his place in the Virgin islands and, uh, he turned to me and he said, you know, one thing I never want to, to hear that you've let someone make fun of what you do. And I said, Phil, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I just had the thought that when the apocalypse happens, guys with your skills will be eating guys with my skills for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this guy's a multimillionaire yeah. and I'm, I'm like... Yeah, you know, and that that was kind of my first exposure to um, being damn proud of of uh, what I can do, and and now uh, very very proud and taking ownership in what my friends can do, and and I have friends all over the country and the world, and and they kill it, they absolutely kill it, and I'm proud to be here. Here, here. Oi, oi, oi! How's that for cheerleading? <laughs> <laughs> You get the best sweater vest and little frilly skirt that I can imagine. <laughs> but we got to put a big V in the front, maybe in red and white. I don't know. Exactly. And you know what? I got to say one more thing about the internet. Exposure to Jimmy DeResta has has made it in my mind uh, totally okay to be a full-on trades guy and an art guy at the same time. Because I've always felt like I'm in that gray area between trades and art, and nobody likes me. 
<laughs> and uh, Jimmy has made it completely okay to to live there and to kick ass there. Absolutely. Well, Eddie, thank you for coming on and running through the five questions with us. Um, Heck yeah. Delightful time chatting with you. Uh, where can people find out more about you online if they want to look you up based on uh, you being the excellent craftsman and artist that you are? The easiest way is to find me at blameberkey.com. And uh, that has links to most of my social network stuff. I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and occasionally on Twitter. All right. Excellent. And I'm, uh, I'm, thank you, Andy, again. And uh, we uh, hope everyone finds you there. I am, uh, I'm Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop, sometimes, uh, and at Sean W78 <laughs> on most everything, uh, and just my name on Facebook. I feel guilty doing this, Sean, because it's been a good three or four weeks since I wrote a post. But if I were to oh, call you God. out every single time we close a show until you write a new post, would that in any way motivate you to write a post? Not at all. All right. Then I won't bother <laughs> mentioning that you haven't written a post in like five years. Um, but in the meantime, every month or so, you can find me writing at modernwoodworkersassociation.com and penultimatewoodshop.com, which I really need to redirect to modernwoodworkersassociation.com. So really just go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Diami Plotky. That is absolutely where I am the most active. You can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook and, uh, and on Untapped at Penultimate Beer. So with that, go out in your shop. Infuse something with epoxy. Make something that's bigger than your shop. Make something that's smaller than shop. Just build something. Have fun. Make it art. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Kyle Barton here with your MWA Woodworking News. In this episode, Sawstop goes black and green. Tom Fidgen introduces the Spoke Rasp. And an old friend revives his blog. Yes, Festool has bought Sawstop. Specifically, Tool Technic Systems, Festool's parent company, has acquired Sawstop. It's my understanding that Sawstop will continue its operations as normal under its current leadership. But what does this pretend for the future? With Festool now having access to uh, Sawstop's flesh sensing technology and their patents, there might be some new and innovative products that come out. All I know is whatever products come out, I'm sure it will be a value proposition for all of us. Popular Woodworking Books has just reprinted a classic text called The Art and Craft of Cabinet Making by David Denning from 1891. This Victorian-era book is supposed to be full of insights as well as an easy read. According to Chris Swartz, you will both agree and disagree with Denning on almost every page. Now, this is a limited press run, so please visit shopwoodworking.com to pick up your copy today. Popular Woodworking is welcoming Nancy Hiller over to the Popular Woodworking shop blog. She's already made a few posts over there, and I recommend that you go over there and check those out. Uh, Nancy brings her unique perspective into the uh, furniture-making business as well as the uh, woodworking community. Go over to popularwoodworking.com to check out her posts. Tom Fidgen with the Unplug Workshop is introducing a new tool he's calling the Two-Handed Rasp, and I've dubbed the Spoke Rasp. That's because it looks very similar to a spoke shave, except where the uh, body and blade of the spoke shave is, there's actually a rasp. Um, Tom has been working with Legere, the master rasp maker out of France, to develop these. And actually, the hand-stitched teeth, instead of being in a 
vertical fashion as on most rasp or in a horizontal fashion. So you can easily just uh, use this similar to a spoke shape, pushing and pulling to uh, define curves and uh, whatever you're working on. He thinks this is going to be a great uh, tool for not only luthiers and furniture makers, but chair makers as well. Now he's offering this in um, three sizes or uh, I guess levels of coarseness. He has a coarse, which is a number nine grain, a medium, which is a number six grain, and a fine, which is a number 13 grain. Uh, each of these uh, spoke rasps are about $130 a piece, or you can get the whole set for $350. Please visit theunpluggedworkshop.com to find out more information. I'd like to thank Brian Brazil for submitting this, lightening my wallet, and expanding my tool collection. Now I'd like to introduce you to the GRS-16 from TSO Products. This is a unique system for Festool Traxol users. Uh, this is a, um, a milled piece of aluminum that clamps on to the guide rail that allows you to easily square the guide rail against the edge of a board. So instead of like I do when I'm breaking down sheet goods, is make two little tech marks and get that guide rail uh, next to the tick mark closest to me and the one furthest away and then make my cut. You could just make one tick mark at the edge of the board, uh, put this device on there, and you're good to go. Um, for those that really use the track saw, breaking down sheet goods or whatever, this could be an indispensable tool to make your work not only easier, but faster. Visit tsoproducts.com for more information. Have you ever had an issue properly tensioning your bandsaw blade? Well, Monarch Industrial may have a solution in their new product called the Monarch Tension Gauge. Like a lot of you, I use my finger basically to put sideways pressure on the bandsaw blade till I determine that, yeah, that feels about right. What Monarch has done with some, uh, looks like laser cut stainless steel um, gauge is to actually bring some empirical measurements to that practice. At $80, it's a lot cheaper than a lot of tensioning gauges I've seen out there. For more information on this product, please visit monarchindustrialinc.com. And now, a tip from the shop. I'd like to introduce you to the CBN grinding wheel. CBN stands for Cubic Boron Nitride. This is a unique material. It's the second hardest material known to man, with diamond, of course, being the hardest. But it has a couple of unique properties. Number one, it doesn't react with iron. Number two, this material is bonded to an aluminum wheel, and it actually helps transfer the heat actually from the tool into the aluminum wheel. So it actually runs fairly cool. Now, the, the other interesting thing about these wheels is they're guaranteed from li for life. I have had these uh, in my shop for about nine months, and they've revolutionized my power grinding. Number one, you don't have to dress these wheels. And number two, they cut extremely well. And number three, they have a lot less mess. Now, that's not guaranteed to be less mess. There's still, you know, of course, uh, particles and stuff coming off the tool, but there's not any particles coming off the wheel. So it is a little less messy than your typical grinding wheel. Now, when I bought these, there were a few options out there, but not as many as there are now. I first was introduced to these uh, wheels uh, from a website called Woodturner's Wonders, and they mainly marketed these uh, wheels to the wood turning community to sharpen lathe tools. 
But uh, now there are a lot of different options. In fact, Woodturner's Wonders has, I don't know, four or five different versions of the CBN grinding wheel. They've also worked with uh, tools for working wood. Um, you may know them from Gramercy Tools and so forth. And uh, they've developed for them a crowned CBN grinding wheel. So this uh, this grinding wheel actually has a slight crown to it, which makes it easier to sharpen, or should I say grind, uh, plain blades and uh, chisels. And uh, yeah, there are more expensive than your typical grinding wheel, even your, you know, souped up uh, Norton 3X grinding wheels. Uh, but they're not that much more expensive. And remember, this is a lifetime wheel. So the six inch, uh, grinding wheels start at about $110. I'm talking about the crowned ones with, uh, tools from working wood. And the eight inch, uh, diameter grinding wheels are about $140. So to check these out, I would visit both the websites to see what type of grinding wheel would work best in your shop. So visit Woodturner's Wonders or Tools for Working Wood. Lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to my uh, good Canadian friend, Ian McKay of Wood Canucks blog. Ian's been in the woodworking community, I think, as long as I have, maybe even longer. But the uh, last few years, life's kind of gotten away. But he has resurrected his blog at woodcanuck.wordpress.com. And it's starting to do some uh, great posts there. He's kind of transitioning uh, into more of a hand tool centric uh, workshop and uh, he has some great content out there so i'd encourage you all to uh, visit him again that's woodcanuck.wordpress.com if you have any uh, news or announcements for this segment please contact me at barton.kyle.d at gmail.com or you can also find me on instagram at barton.kyle all right, and today we've got, or for this portion of whatever, we've got Andy Berkey here for the five questions. We've How about for them. episode 144? For episode 144? Yeah. We just did 143? <laughs> no, it was episode, two. 142? No. That's what we said in Utah. For episode 143, here's Andy Berkey. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. How did we get to the Blaine Berkey hashtag and uh, you know expression? Like, are, are, well, are you guilty of some heinous thing? I don't know. Or have you brought all the wonderfulness <laughs> that is the crafting and building and making community? <laughs> well, it's kind of a combo, but but the the, the spirit behind uh, the hashtag Blaine Berkey is uh, every morning I'm out uh, at sunrise or 